So as we've been journeying um, through this first chapter of Mark that we've looked at uh, in this series so far and getting to know who Jesus is, um, who he was, why he was needed, why he is needed, um, we've been drawn to time and time again the fact that he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, uh, the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, these are basic truths and they're for us to hold on to. Um, as we've dug deeper um, into this early stage of, of Jesus' ministry, um, we've been looking at um, and heard of his healings, of his teaching, of the authority and the power that really just oozed out of him. And although we've not expanded on it, chapters 2 uh, through chapters 8, the theme is consistent. The first half of Mark's gospel is all about Jesus as the king. It concentrates on his kingship, his messiahship. Um, and before looking at the passage that Pastor Karen read uh, for us this morning, I, I just want to look briefly back uh, to the end of chapter 8. Uh, the end of chapter 8, uh, Tim Keller calls this a part of, of, of the gospel, the turn. And I remember when I was studying, one of my uh, professors would describe Mark's gospel as a straight line that then had a crazy spiralling out of control mess before it then entered onto a straight trajectory again. And he was talking about this part of the gospel. Uh, we're talking about, of course, Peter's confession. Uh, Jesus asked the question to his disciples, who do people say I am? And, and they replied to him, ah, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. Uh, and then he says to them, but who do you say I am? And Peter answers him, you are the Messiah. And Jesus immediately tells his disciples, great, do not reveal this to anyone else just yet. And it's important that we look at this um, and, and we see the shift in focus from this moment on. You see, we turn from concentrating in Mark's gospel here from who Jesus is and all that that means, how in him we have uh, uh, forgiveness, we find love, uh, power, authority, and we get rest. And how to now look what it means to why he came. Um, how, it is, how is it that he is going to do what he came for? And that, of course, is the cross. See, after, after that confession of Peter, um, six days later, Jesus takes Peter, James and John, and he leads them up the mountain, as Pastor Karen just read. Um, but what can we take from that? What is the challenge for us today? What is our application from this passage of scripture, which is or most likely very common to many of you? Um, well, really, in order to get that, we need to look back so that we can look forward. It's a word that I've, I've really been um, hearing lately, uh, and it's so relevant on this passage that we look back, and we need to go way back. Um, think of another time in scripture when there was a mountain, a cloud, and a voice of God. 
I'm going to take you to Exodus chapter 33. And it tells us of Moses going up Mount Sinai. Uh, and, and in verse 18, verse 18, he says to God, show me your glory. And God tells Moses that he may come into his presence. Um, but God is going to place his hand over Moses' face as he passes by. And then as he takes his hand away, Moses will be able to look upon God's back, but never see his face. Because it's face of God. The face of God is not to be seen, he is told. And in the next chapter, um, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments for a second time after the first tablets had been smashed. And as Moses comes down the mountain, all the people are afraid of Moses because his face was radiant. He resembled something of God from having been in God's presence. I want you to hold that thought for a moment. Resembling God after being in God's presence. Um, both of my kids, they have telescopes in their rooms. Um, and they love to look through them to see what they can see. Um, they also, for Christmas, got a, um, a microscope with a whole number of slides and they've had fun looking through the microscope at what is these specks on slides to see what's really there. And it fascinates them. It's magnification. It allows us to see what we normally would not see. With the right tools, we can look beyond what is there to the naked eye and we can gain a greater understanding. See that word magnification, it really strikes within me uh, this week. It really has, has been challenging me and, 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 and I've been thinking on it a lot because it gives me a greater sense of purpose. We are called to magnify the Lord, are we not? Now, let's be clear, that first sense of, of the word, we're, we're, we're talking about magnifying in terms of making something appear larger than it actually is. But in that second sense, in that magnifying Christ, we're talking about glorifying him. We're talking about um, putting him higher than anything else. We can't make him appear larger than he is, but in glorifying him, we can through, through uh, everything we do pointing to him, we can make him visible to those who maybe previously didn't see him. So back to that thought on Moses resembling something of God having been in his presence. He allowed people to see something of God that they previously hadn't seen. His face shone. It was radiant. It made, it made people afraid because they didn't understand what they were seeing. And today, looking at the transfiguration, an event which transformed Jesus before the eyes of Peter, James and John, turning him uh, dazzling white, whiter than anything could be bleached. Let's take a moment to consider Peter's response to this. And I, I kind of loved how, how Pastor Karen was almost laughing when she read his response. Because he didn't know what he was saying. He was afraid. He was looking upon the same radiance. However, 
much more intense than those Israelites had seen on the face of Moses. And he babbles. Um, Pastor Karen said the word shelter. Uh, in my text I was reading this week, he said tabernacles. Um, and there's something about tabernacles. <laughs> kind of comes across in a, in a kind of a laughing sense. Uh, and he's rather quickly quieted. Uh, if we notice that. The, the covered by the cloud and the voice of the Father is heard. And it says, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Now, to compare this event with that of Moses on Mount Sinai, it allows us to see that whereas Moses reflected God's glory, Jesus embodies the very glory of God. It is in him. It runs through him. It bursts out of him. Jesus, he doesn't point to the glory of God as Moses had, or as the other prophet that was present, Elijah, had, or other prophets had or will even today. No, Jesus is the glory of God himself. Previously, people would look back to Moses. They would look to the law as a way of connecting with the Father. Or they may look to the words and the works of the prophets, um, what they said, uh, who they said it to, um, in order to find connection with God, with the God that had sent them. These two men, Moses and Elijah, they're key to the whole story. And so for Peter, there's a sense of having to mark this moment in time. Uh, in the same way that the Israelites did after Moses came down from the mountain uh, about Sinai and, and they built a tabernacle. It's a human response. One which um, looks to try to explain something that is rather unexplainable. To create a space, to point to that which is greater, to provide a bridge from this world to God. That's the essence of the tabernacle. However, we know that this is not what we're meant to be doing. Yeah? The bridge is not the church building, the tabernacle. It's not the liturgies that we use, the songs that we sing, the prayers that we say. It's not the professional ministers, the priests and the pastors. No, the bridge is Jesus Christ. And here in Mark chapter 9, we have that truth being thrust upon us. As the glory of God leaves the mountaintop, Peter looks around and there's no longer anyone else there other than him, James, John, looking at Jesus. There's no longer a need to build those tabernacles because Elijah is gone. Moses is gone. All that remains is Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the temple, the altar, the high priest, and the sacrifice. He is there, radiant. Jesus is now well on that journey to the cross. And the emphasis of Mark's gospel shifts, like I said, from him, from him being king to him being the lamb, to him being the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. We're asking that question this series, who is Jesus? Well, simply Jesus is the answer. He is the only way. He is the one the only one who can bridge the gap between us and the Father. And in accepting him in your life, 
and truly allowing him to be the Lord, then we don't need to pretend to be perfect. We need to be helplessly repentant. Helplessly repentant. Comes back to those first words that he spoke in the Gospel of Mark. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. It is now. It is upon us. Those words still remain as truthful today as they were then. He is the bridge. And repentance opens the door to that bridge. So as we prepare to come into the table, to remember all that he did uh, for us, all that he has done for us in going to the cross, uh, to, to step into that very life of even taking up our own cross, which he calls us to do. To follow him fully and not just worship him. We're going to sing a song, a song, Great Are You, Lord. It's going to play, the words are going to be sung. Um, you don't have to sing them. Just let them appear on the screen. Just let them wash over you. Uh, respond how you feel God is calling you to respond right now because these are very powerful words. Great are you, Lord.